turn to Revelation 1-9. I had these high hopes of uh, reading Revelation 1-9 to 11 in one sermon, and I only got halfway through 1-9. So we're going to continue with 1-9. And uh, before we do, let's just pray. I'm just going to say a prayer for this sermon. Lord, I need you now, and we all need you. Lord, we have come together to seek you today. We're here to experience you and, and, and get a, an understanding of, uh, of you at a level that uh, we may have never had before. So, Lord, I pray for revelation, for great revelation to be revealed today in everyone's hearts and in my heart so that I can deliver this message in such a way that it, it, it puts us at a level of awe of you and also a, a, a giving us a reverent fear of you at a level that we may have never before. So let this sermon um, be directed completely by your Holy Spirit. I hand it over to you, God. Do with it as you will. And uh, open all our hearts to receive today in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Revelation 1.9, let's read it. And it says, I, John, your brother. So he's talking about himself. I, John, your brother and companion. So he's, he is the companion he's talking about. What that means is we are companions in these days we are christian companions now we know that the holy spirit are, uh, holy spirit the holy spirit is also our companion isn't he 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 will be with us through through these times but john's specifically talking about the companion or the brotherhood of the church how we work together as a church well at least back in that day what they were to each other because back in those days, when, when persecution comes on a church at the level that it came in the first century, and the church doesn't want to give in, do you think they bonded like you've never bonded? Do you know what I mean? Like you imagine, it, it can be, because uh, persecution or tribulation is pressure, isn't it? It's like when um, King David and his men and his mighty men, and this is the reason they became mighty men, mind you, because they were bundled together, a little flock of God's people. And hundreds of thousands of Philistines would be gathering around them with swords, fierce warriors. And these, these guys, are they go together, they, they got together. You can imagine how bonded they were. They were like, I'll watch your back, you watch mine. Let's just watch each other's back. Let's just come on, guys. And they were all gathering around. They are all backing up on each other. The bond, the unity would have been unbelievable because that's what tribulation does to you. And that's why the, they became mighty men because small flocks of God's people had to break out of unbelievable odds. So the average man there would have had to kill a thousand just to survive that one battle. So that's what tribulation does to the church. And that's why in some parts of the world right now the, the church is under extreme tribulation and the companionship the brotherhood of those people is like we 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 don't even get a, a, a any idea of in this western culture and the way we are as a church do you know what i'm saying so he's talking about the companionship i john your brother and companion and he's the companion in suffering in the in the niv in tribulation in the king james and and there's, there's many other words that you can use um, for that word uh, in the Greek, which was, um, ip, ips, oh, I've forgotten it now. I'm terrible at the Greek. Can you remember the word for tribulation? Don't you? 
Opeł? Yasu. Did you say Yasu? <laughs> It's about the only word I can remember. Ips ellipsis. Very good. I'm glad someone was paying attention last week. Ellipsis. <laughs> I knew I was going to say Ypsilon, but that's a letter in the Greek alphabet, isn't it? Companion in the suffering, tribulation. And in the kingdom, and we talked about those two things, the, tri the tribulation and the kingdom, and the patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. And uh, John was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and his testimony. He was exiled there, wasn't he? Now, we're going to talk about that in a minute. Now, companion in tribulation, we've done that. Companion in the kingdom, we've done. The companion in patient endurance is what we're going to look at. And there's also, I want to talk about this Uh, John being exiled to Patmos. Now, that's a critical thing I want to talk about because um, there's some belief systems that have come out about the book of Revelation. And if, if, if we can't pin down when John was exiled to Patmos, the date, then this, well, if you can pin it down and know pretty much exactly where it is, then certain belief systems, and I'm talking about preterism, can, will fall straight away, like a pack of cards. The whole thing is undermined. Just by that, just by the, the correct date, and I'll explain that in a minute. All right. Uh, Ipamoni, is that right, Vina? Ipamoni. It means, and this is the word that we get endurance from. It means remaining under, staying under it. Whatever you're going through, remain under it, endure it, be steadfast in it, especially as God enables the believer to remain or endure under the challenges he allots in life. See, if a Christian, whatever a Christian goes through, will firstly be according to the will of God in response to what that person is, is as, as a Christian. And what I mean by that is, if a Christian becomes especially wicked, then God will allow certain circumstances in his life to correct them so that they will come to full come you know to to full repentance and turn to God and follow him with all their heart is that right who knows that's true if you if you go down certain paths you can get slapped in the face by God sort of thing to, and and it's for our grace now we might have to go through some terrible situations but you know what nothing can be more terrible than going to hell so you would pray God put me through whatever extreme circumstance I have to go through if it's going to turn my heart back to you and I get saved It's all worth it. And that's why sometimes well, we, when we pray for people who don't believe in Jesus and we pray for them to get well, firstly pray for their salvation. Lord, if, if this sickness could bring them to know you, and even if they die from this sickness, as long as they get to know you, should be the first prayer. Because really, a lot of, a lot of the time, people come to the Lord. We've known people that have come to the Lord, fully born again, during suffering extreme cases of cancer and died, but died in the Lord. I remember one person, I won't mention, mention her name, but we heard her the night before she, or on the very night she died, we were there with her a few hours before. And she, I've never seen anything like it. She was crying out to Jesus with all her heart, crying out and repenting, crying out and repenting, crying out. And she had only turned to the Lord, you know, probably a year before. Mm. It's an amazing thing. So the Lord's will's got to be done in all things. But we also got to pray that God can heal them too. Amen? 
because God can heal. God has the power to heal. He hasn't changed. We change. <laughs> if the healing power's not coming out from us, it's because we've changed. We've got to get back to first century living, first century Christianity. That's, that's where it's at. Okay, let's turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 4 to 7. Let's just go back to verse 3 just to get a nice beginning on this. So praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our, in the NIV it says, comforts us in all our troubles, but it comforts, comforts us in all our tribulation. So whatever you're going to go through, no matter how severe it is, Whatever, like over in, in certain countries in the Middle East right now, there's Christians going through severe testing. Now, I've read accounts of Christians going through these terrible tribulations and all the way, they said, God comforted me through the whole thing at a level that they didn't understand was possible until they're in it. You know what I mean? It's not until you're going through it that you can understand the power of God to comfort and it's hard to understand when we're not going through it. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it is. There's a, a place where God can bring incredible comfort to his people um, in the worst situation. So who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. And that's why when I read an account of, of certain Christians in certain countries and what they've gone through, I get comforted by the their expressions of the comfort they receive from God. It made me go, God's adequate. God's adequate. These guys went through some terrible, terrible, terrible things, but they explained that God made it you know, possible for them to uh, endure it. And that's what it's all about, enduring it. There's a, a, a famous story, and I'm going to try to um, reiterate it in the best way I can. It's of a man, I can't remember his name, I've got a terrible memory for names. He was on his way to be burnt at the stake. This is in uh, probably the 15th century, something around there. And he's on his way to be burnt at the stake. And Christians in the crowd said, give us a sign so that we know that God is adequate and, and comforts you in all things. Give us a sign of how this is possible or what, you know, that God can do this. Anyway, th this man was placed on the stake, tied to the stake, they placed you know, branches and twigs around him and they set him on, on, on fire. And the man st stood there motionless in the flames as the flames beat around him and his body just started to um, completely ignite. His, his, everything went black. He just stood there like this. And then all of a sudden he raised his arms in the air and clapped three times as if to say the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. And then he slumped forward dead. And the Christians, you imagine the comfort they receive from seeing a Christian man stand in the flames, getting cooked, and not flinch. Would that give you comfort? Would that make you go, what a God we have? Not to say that you don't experience pain, because some, I've, I've read other accounts of men that experience pain, but they said they always endure it, because somehow God enables them to endure it. So in all things, God is adequate. And he knows he will not tempt you beyond what you can bear. 
So that means, man, he can make us really, really, really able in terrible situations. Amen? Now, I've just closed my Bible. I've got to find my way back. What was it? 2 Corinthians 1, 4 to 7. For just as, this is from verse 5, for just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, his sufferings flow over into our lives. So also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, sorry, if we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. So that's for... These Christians in these other countries, they're distressed for our comfort and salvation. Isn't that interesting? And that can be turned around one day. I could be under distress for your comfort. Sometimes I am. <laughs> for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Who knows the Bible says that we should share in the sufferings of Christ. We share in them. We share in them. We take part in them. It's, this is a mentality of the early church that very little taught these days, because, especially in the West, because it's very difficult to understand. Very difficult to get this understanding, get our minds right in relation to uh, keeping what I call a martyrdom attitude to Christianity. Um, who read the uh, Bible reading today? Nick. And we're talking about Jesus, you know. Um, if you love your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose it for my sake, you will find it. You know, these scriptures, they mean more than just the surface reading. Oh, that's a nice, nice quote. No, if you love your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose it, if you give it up for me, you'll find it. If you take up your cross, put it on your shoulder, and you take it through life, and you take that on you, You'll be worthy of Jesus. If you don't take it up, you're not worthy of Jesus. These scriptures, we, we, we have to read them and really, really get them into our heart. Amen. Who knows it's true? Next scripture is Revelation 13.10. Now, this is going to hit a little closer to home because this is talking about a time around when the mark of the beast comes out on the earth and people aren't able to buy or sell unless they take this mark and uh, we get a clear word for the Christians living at that time. I don't believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. Everyone here knows that, I think. I don't believe that God will just snatch us away during the great harvest. I think we were, if the first century church knew our retreat mentality and our escape mentality of this day and age, they'd be disgusted with us. They would say, hey, we went through the fire of tribulation and we came out all the better. You guys want to escape it, so you're going to come out all the worse. You know? And if you don't escape it, what happens if you've pushed to go through it and you're not, your heart's not ready? This is why I preach as I do, because God's told me, prepare my people, those that will listen, prepare them to go through hard times and the word is very clear it's going to come upon the face of the whole earth i think graham every time you come you hear a message like this don't you <laughs> maybe that's what you have to keep hearing 
<laughs> All right, so Revelation 13.10. So if anyone is to go into captivity, in the captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword he will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Calls for patient endurance, endurance which is what we're talking about, and faithfulness on the part of saints, being faithful. Don't be cowards. Don't cower in the face of extreme persecution. Be ready for it. Amen. Who, do you reckon you guys are going to be sort of at least partly ready if tribulation comes upon Adelaide? Or you, you better come to this church a bit more, Graham. <laughs> you never can be... You, you never realise uh, at the time how, how far away from being ready we really are. You know what I'm saying? Like if you just were told in one hour's time um, there's something really bad's going to hit Adelaide, pack your stuff and get out. You'd be running around the house like this. You know what I mean? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And, it, you know, come on, it's half an hour's gone. You haven't even packed the thing in the car yet. You're not ready. You know what I mean? You're never fully ready. So you just end up throwing, your, throwing a Mars bar in the back seat and just driving. That's really... <laughs> So get prepared, prepared, so if you get these short notice things, you can be a little bit ready. You know? And same with this. I will tell you and tell you and tell you, and, but at least when the time comes, you will have a little bit of heart. Your heart will be ready for it. Do you know what I mean? Oh, Rob's talked about this for the last five years, and now it's here. <laughs> he was a little premature. He should have just really piled it in in the last six months. But I don't know when it's going to happen, so I've got to just sort of go with what God tells me to call. And I'm just preaching verse by verse through the book of Revelation anyway. So, and that's what I'm up to. There should be some really good, fun-loving sermons coming up soon. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Let's go to Revelation 14, 9 to 13. <clears throat> just a little bit further forward. And it says, a third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, he too will drink the wine or drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. And then I heard a voice from heaven say, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. When I read that, you know, when I first read that as a new Christian, I was like, whoa, that's pretty full on. But then over the years, I'm, lo I'm Lord, I want to be part of that company. I want to be part of those people. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Because you're going to be blessed. Who wants God's blessing? Yeah, we all want God's blessing. There's a, really, there's a perfect way to get it. Be part of those who endure at that time. Romans 15, 3 to 6. <clears throat> and it says, For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, 
The insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So where do we get endurance and encouragement? From the scriptures. This is what this is for, is to read it. People that lose hope as a Christian is usually because they don't read the Bible. They stop reading it. But we've got to read it together. And we've got, to, we've got to expound on it. We've got to go deeper and deeper and deeper into the Scriptures all the time so that you can have hope in these, in these trying days. So teach us, and I think that's... Uh, oh, no, there's a bit more. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. See, there's a strong unity. I've actually been in a lot of churches over the years. I've never experienced a church with the amount of unity this church has. Am I alone in thinking that? Do you feel that unity here? Yeah? It's, it's very rare, guys. Let, whatever we've got here is a very rare thing. It comes straight from the hand of God. It's a blessing from God. He's given us a unity, a genuine love, genuine friendships that have been forming. You know what I mean? There's a sincerity among the brotherhood and the sisterhood in this church. And that comes straight from the hand of God. And I believe it's because we so closely study the scriptures. We go verse by verse through everything. I don't just like I don't like cherry picking one verse. I like to get a whole passage. Cherry pick one verse, you can really mis misinterpret it, can't you? But if you get the whole passage and then you get a whole heap of scriptures that all say the same thing and read the passages around those scriptures, you get a fuller and a better understanding. So may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 2 Corinthians, let's go there as well. 2 Corinthians 6 verses 4 to 10. And this is a description of Paul's hardships. And go from verse Verse 4, 6 verse 4, and it says, Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience and kindness in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. See the weapons they carried? Righteousness. Through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor, yet making many rich, have nothing, having nothing, and yet possessing everything. Wow. Because what did they possess? What's the everything they possessed? The kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is within them. The Holy Spirit is within them. That's amazing. But he's been commended because he knows. He's, been, he's endured. He's gone in every way. He's gone through troubles and hardships and distresses, tribulations, and he has not you know, turned away. He's not recanted of his faith. He's not slid backwards in his faith. He has kept the faith. He's marched onwards in spite of severe you know, tribulation that he went through. 
What happened at the end of Paul's life? Anyone know? He was a Roman citizen. Therefore, they couldn't crucify him. So they had to lop off his head. The quickest way to go. But don't worry, he was beaten many times. I think five times he received 40 lashes minus one. They reckon Paul, at the end of his life, they considered him an unimpressive man. Five times his back was ripped open with whips. They reckon he was hunched and he was sh he'd shrunken down because when you get your back whipped, your skin gets torn off and all your bodily organs get exposed and all the muscles of your body gets torn apart and ripped open, right? So, and then when it heals, he's got like tissue healing with, you know, and all scabs and stuff and... He would have been a mess. Five times he had that happen to him. His body must have just been a crumpled up mess. But when he opened his mouth, the power of God came forth and he was esteemed as the greatest apostle of all. The question is, is could you endure what Paul endured? This is what we have to ask ourselves. Most people can't endure an hour sermon. <laughs> I have a lot of trouble with it. That's why I only, t I only try to preach for 45 minutes. Or so. But you know what I'm saying? We've got to ask ourselves, are we prepared to go through what God is calling us to go through? And we don't know what that is, but give him, the, give him room to, firstly, to speak to you, and to strengthen you and to guide you in this life. Because we may have to go through things that you, we would never, ever dream of. And it's hard to think of. I, I think it was last week's message. We, I was talking about how uh, in a day a place can change. ISIS have moved into some villages, and I think I've mentioned this a few weeks back, have moved into some villages um, in the Middle East where they've been Christian since the time of Christ. The whole village... Christian, so it's got this 2,000 year long history, this heritage, rich heritage, beautiful place, beautiful people, and passionate, passionate Christians. ISIS have gone into these beautiful villages and completely wiped them out in, in a day, killed everyone, no one left, not one Christian standing. Now, the point is this, is a day earlier... It would have been hard to believe that that could happen a day later. They would have been walking around. It's beautiful. How are you going? And everyone's, you know, hopefully they're all loving each other like true Christians should. But you know what I mean? And in a day, it changed. And suddenly it's deserted. There's no one there. And if you hadn't managed to be one person that survived, you're walking down the street and everything's burning and whole, you know, windows are smashed and dead bodies laying everywhere. You're going, <gasps> there's, there's, I know these people. You know what I'm saying? Now, we, we get so comforted and insulated from, the, from what's going on in the rest of the world that we think nothing like that could ever possibly happen. And if someone's stupid enough to preach on it, they've got rocks in their head. I have Jesus Christ the rock. But you know what I mean? So I'm preaching on it and everyone's going, oh, you're a bit premature, buddy. Probably a thousand years premature. How do you know? How do you know what the enemy's got planned. I believe that the state 
of Australia is a sitting duck for the greatest falling away, the greatest apostasy of the Christian faith that we're ever going to see anywhere in the world. We are a sitting duck. If the persecution sweeps in for our faith into this country, Christians are going to flee the faith like never before. And I would pray that you guys could stand strong, that you guys could hold to your faith and say, "Uh uh-uh, I've already prepared my heart for this time. I don't know how I'm going to go through it, but the comfort of the Lord is going to enable me. Jesus Christ is going to be with me, and he's going to be with me at a power level that I've never known before. Please, I I, I beg all of you to do yourselves the biggest favor you could ever do is buy the book, The Fox's Book of Martyrs, and read it from cover to cover. After you finish that, buy the book Jesus Freaks, read it from cover to cover. And then if you still want more, get into some Richard Wombrand. Get some of his book. You can get a free book. on. Uh, if you go on to the Voice of the Martyrs, you can get a free book called Tortured for Christ by Richard Wombrand. Mind-blowing stuff. Mind-blowing stuff. I read that, and then I look at Christianity in the West, and I'm going, oh, how far behind we are. And I was passionate like this in a, in a charismatic church where it was a prosperity-preaching church, probably not the best church to bring my message into. And I started, I got up, and they gave me the pulpit, and I preached on martyrdom. <laughs> and people at the end said to the pastor in private, if that guy, if you ever let him speak in this church again, we are never going to come back to this church again. Why? <laughs> I wasn't as eloquent as I am now, maybe. <laughs> but who knows it has to be preached? Is it in the Word of God? I didn't get this idea on my own. <laughs> I don't, I, don't, I don't understand these things because I, uh, I just had this incredible revelation I got, um, you know, that unique to me. It's in the Word. I wrote a book called Taken Up Your Cross and I drew all the scriptures, not all of them, but a lot of them, all, uh, most of the scriptures out of here that reference martyrdom and, and gaining a martyrdom attitude and preparing your hearts for troubling times. And I did it because I knew the church isn't ready. The church isn't ready. The Lord's clearly said, prepare my people for end times because they're coming. <laughs> and they're coming so quick and they're going to come in and it's going to be like the tide coming in on a high tide. Who knows you can't put sandbags up to hold back a high tide. Yeah? Go out and you can get a million people. You'll all start putting sandbags. The high tide will come in. You can't stop it, can you? It's just going to wash over the sandbags and if you're standing there, it's going to take you as well. What happens if it's a tsunami? Do you put sandbags up to prevent you from getting hit by a tsunami? Or do you run for the hills? We've got we to gotta get ready. Because it's coming and it's coming and it won't, we can't stop it through our own effort now going out blocking it out and saying no, putting sandbags up in our mind. We have to have this attitude. Now, let me tell you this. Just say you adopt this attitude. And it doesn't happen for 20 years. Praise God. Thank you, God. Don't you think that attitude would make you a far more effective Christian? Don't you think the attitude would make you an effective minister who doesn't fear telling people about Jesus, who doesn't fear rejection? Because you're no longer your own. You're Jesus Christ. You're a martyr. You've died to self. You've handed it over to him. See, they take this die to self. I've heard it preached 
in many churches, but they leave out the important thing. What does it really mean? <laughs> Dying to self, being prepared to lay your life down for Christ. That's what the early church meant. We can get analogies from it. We can draw out, you know, other meanings which we can apply to everyday life. Amen, you can. There's plenty of other meanings you can draw out. But what is the pure meaning? Lay your life down. Being prepared for that. Amen. And you know when you're going to thank me for these sermons? Is when trouble does come. <laughs> you're going to come up and say, Rob, thanks, mate. So I'll keep preaching them so you don't forget. All right. Exiled to Patmos. John was exiled to Patmos. I want to go through this. Um, please give me a few minutes just to do this. Written, it was written around 90 to 95 AD, the book of Revelation. Um, and the reason is, is because Emperor Domitian was the one who exiled John to Patmos, and he ruled from AD 81 to 96. So did he rule between 70 and 96, AD 70? No, he ruled from 81 to 96. And he had the power, and he was banishing not just John, but there was others he was banishing to Patmos at that time. Okay, that, now that's important, and I bring that up as the first point. Um, because if we can establish that John, and, and scholars have got it down to around AD 95, and now we know that he was banished there because he said he was, ban um, he was there, and also because his students like Polycarp and others and, um, mentioned that he was banished as a prisoner to Patmos in the Anti-Nicene Fathers. So we know pretty clearly it must have been in that time. Emperor Domitian also was a, an Antichrist type. He was a typology of the Antichrist that was to come. Um, and he was a tyrant. He was the first emperor to title himself as God the Lord. And he also had other titles, Lord of the Earth, Our Lord and God, the Invincible Glory, he even just called himself holy and thou art alone, like as in he's the one true God. They found ancient coins of Domitian and his reign and one coin has him enthroned with the title father of the gods. So this guy had a pretty high self-esteem. <laughs> Don't you think? He liked himself. <laughs> when John wrote the book of Revelation, the time he lived in was a picture of the end times. When the Antichrist arises and exalts himself as God and the followers of Christ uh, will be heavily persecuted. He was at that type. He was persecuting the Christians and he was claiming himself to be God. Right? Now this is, this is how we're told that the Antichrist will behave when he comes upon this earth. He'll stand in the temple of God and, and declare himself to be God. God the Lord. He'll use all the same titles as Emperor Domitian. Now, preterism, and I want you to be very aware of preterism because preterism is growing incredibly strongly, and I find it fascinating that in times where the signs of the times are becoming so prevalent in our society and in the world, that such a view would, would take such a foothold in the church. Preterism is an eschatological view that interprets some, which are partial preterists or all full preterists, so I'll just leave those brackets out so you get the gist of the sentence. Preterism is an eschatological view that interprets some or all prophecies of the Bible as events which have already happened in 70 AD, including the final judgment and hell. 
has all occurred then as well. It's a pretty extreme view. It's like, how can they believe that, you know? And, and there's reasons why, and I, I've done a bit of a study on it. I want to actually one day bring a full, full sermon, and I'll put it in the Uncovering Religion sermon series as well, um, because it is a, a, a quite a deceiving view. But there's a lot of people. I know Daniel knows someone who is a, pred- uh, a family who is a preterist family, yeah. Revelation 1.19. So they say it all happened in 70 AD. They say all the book of Revelation, or a good portion of it, has been fulfilled in 70 AD. Now, firstly, when was the book of Revelation written, according to scholars? 20 to 25 years later. So John wrote a book that was really worthless because it was all meant to... <laughs> it already happened. You may, he may as well said, oh, I've just, just sort of filled you in. This is what actually took place, and so don't worry about it. But he didn't say that, and this is what, what he actually did say, Revelation 1.19. Or it was actually Jesus that told him this. Write, therefore, what you have seen. So the things that he saw in the vision, which is what is now and what will take place later. Who's got a different wording for that? Anyone? Yeah, what does yours say? And the things that will happen. Elizabeth, what's your King James say there? Things that shall be hereafter. I like that hereafter. Does that say it, the things that happened back in 70 AD? It doesn't. It says hereafter, future. Let's move along because I want to finish pretty quickly. Full preterists believe that the second coming of Jesus and the resurrection occurred in 70 AD we are now living in the millennium with the end of the world being the next event. So they, they say it all been fulfilled. The only next event is the, is the end of the world. All prophecies fulfilled except part of Revelation 21 and all of chapter 22. Now, it's surprising. You're going to find it, if you start asking people about this, you're going to be amazed at how many people actually believe it. It's, I was blown away. Predators believe that the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70 is, is the second coming of Jesus. And as the end of the age, which is made clear late in the discourse in Matthew 24, I, I don't want to go into how they come to that belief. They believe that Jesus prophesied that it would happen in AD 70. Jesus died under the old covenant and at the end of the old covenant age, but not the end of time. So he returned to the, to the temple when it was destroyed. It doesn't make sense, all right? And that's what the, I'm, I'm just going to preterist sites and I'm, I'm quoting what they're saying there. Mm. Yeah, it should have ended after the 1,000 years, but it's 2,000 years since, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't make it doesn't make sense in every single way you look at it. My request to the preterist is if the second coming of Jesus has already happened, then show me Jesus. Where is he? Oh, he came spiritually. Well, that's what the Jehovah Witnesses preach. That's how far you're you're stepping outside of fundamental Christianity and you're stepping now into cult view. It's a cult view. They don't deny Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross and they don't deny him as being God though. Most preterists, well, I hope not. I have very briefly discussed preterism. There's plenty of information on it. I really encourage you to look it up. The danger of preterism, 
is that a church that is not watching for the return of Christ, if you believe Jesus has already returned, then every reference to the return of Christ is null and void, isn't it? Did I do three messages on the return of Christ just recently? They're not online yet, but I've done three in a row, part A, B, and C. And I didn't finish all the scriptures. There are that many scriptures that reference the return of Jesus Christ, and they reference what's going to happen as he returns, the type of scenarios. None of those things happened in 70 AD. You know what I'm saying? You can't say Jesus returned when you can't show us Jesus. It's as simple as that. The danger is this. Because they believe he has already come, it is in danger of becoming a foolish virgin. I encourage you to read that one, that, that scripture, Matthew 25, uh, 1 to 13. And he went away, and when he said he went away, actually, just quickly, let's read it, because it, I remember reading it this morning thinking, yeah, it's a, this is important. And this is my last screen, by the way, so we're just about finished. Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took, in, uh, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was gone a long time or was a long time in coming. He was a long time in coming, so he prepared us for a long time. Is 2,000 years a long time? Yeah, it's a, it's a long time in coming. Uh, and they all became drowsy. See, the church started to fall asleep. It started to get very, very sleepy. At midnight, when? At midnight, at an hour you don't expect, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there must not be enough. Uh, there, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their, on their way to buy their oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. And when the others also came, sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. What does that sound like? Matthew seven twenty one to 23. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Would you be watching for Jesus' return if you don't think he's going to return because he's already come? Why would you watch? So preterism has taken away the watchingness of the church, or of that part of the church. They're asleep. They're foolish virgins. They're asleep. They've got no oil in their lamp. They're not trimmed and ready. And when Jesus comes, it's going to take them by surprise. And they're going to say, hang on, I've got to go and get filled with the Spirit. I've got to go and live for Christ now, you know. Not to say that preterists are necessarily bad people, but the view, the view is not scriptural. Now, I'll just finish with, if Jesus has returned spiritually, then preterists could be in danger of receiving an antichrist who stands up and claims to be the Christ who returned in A.D. 70. You think about it. If Jesus has returned, then when the Antichrist stands up, he's going to declare himself to be God. He's going to be the Jesus to the Christians. He's going to be the, you know, the Buddha to the Buddhists. He's going to be the, the Imam to the, uh, 
the Muslims. He's going to fulfill all these things. So if a preterist thinks he's already here, then and he says, I am the Jesus that returned in AD 70, they'll receive him gladly. Because they're not watching for Jesus returning like lightning from heaven with the angels of God behind him. They're not expecting that. Because that's all been done and fulfilled. Is that dangerous, guys? You, you don't want to fall into that. And that's why this church preaches. Un, I've got an Uncovering Religion series. On, it's my most listened to series on, on the internet. We have anywhere from, uh, I think, six to 800 sermons listened to weekly in, of the Uncovering Religion sermon. And it's been like that for years and years and years. And it's, I preach on all the different religions and I go get to the roots, root of the religion, get to the heart of the matter and, and find out what they actually truly believe. Because there was a point where people were talking about different religions and I had knew nothing about them. And I thought, well, I've, I've really got to go and do my research. And, and everyone should, because we're living in an age where there are more religions than you can poke a stick at. There's designer religions now. You don't even have to you know, adopt the values of just one system, you can, you can adopt the values of many systems. You can have a little bit of Buddhism, a little bit of Islam, put a bit of Christianity in there, and New Age, and, you know, enjoy the company of Jehovah Witnesses and, and agree with them, you know what I mean? Or you just become a Baha'i and do all of that, because that's what Baha'is do. So you could really, if you're, if you're believing preterism, you could be in danger of receiving the false Christ because you're not expecting him to return. And if we are living in the millennium, then as commentators have has said, Satan has a long leash. Because isn't Satan supposed to be bound for a thousand years? Well, he hasn't been bound, has he? He's been out on the prowl. He's been doing great damage to this planet. If anyone, if they try to tell you, oh, no, that's not Satan doing it. That's just their own human nature. Well, you know, partly true. <laughs> but don't you think Satan knows how to play our human nature? He knows how to stimulate us to do the things that we shouldn't do. Satan is alive and well on planet Earth. He has not been bound and you know, placed down in the pit. Alright, so that's my sermon for today. I hope it's blessed you. Let's pray. Thanks. Lord, uh, thank you for this time. Thank you for the honour of being able to preach to these wonderful people. And Lord, uh, I just pray that every word that was spoken today has been a blessing to everyone here and that they'd be encouraged and built up strengthened in the faith and uh, that you would prepare us as your people for your return and that we won't be asleep but we'll be awake and watching all the time Lord Jesus I just pray that you um, just continue to uh, watch over us as a people and keep the unity of the faith strong in this church and the unity of the brethren as well our uh, love and care for one another may it just continue to shine stronger and stronger each and every day and uh, Lord, I just pray your blessing over everything that takes place from, from here forward uh, today, that the uh, fellowship will be wonderful as you, uh, as you flow among us all by the power of the Spirit. And so bless everyone here this week. May they have a, a, a wonderful week. May you uh, watch over them and protect them and keep them safe, keep them strong and healthy. Uh, I pray that you would protect them on the roads and protect them in everything they do. And also, Lord, bless them in their workplace and, and anything that they're putting their hand to in the week. May you just uh, keep on guiding them and blessing them in every single thing. And I pray this in your wonderful name. Be with us now in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Amen.